Hi, I'm Amy. Hi, I'm Roisin. Hi, I'm Tara. Welcome to Yonic Boom, episode one. This is a podcast hosted by us, three deadly feminist midwives, um, and we're hoping to provide an evidence-based midwifery focus on discussions around women's reproductive health and experiences, popular culture commentary on women, their health and experiences, and some info on current national and international policy on women's reproductive health and experiences. Through the podcast, we're hoping to foster a more colloquial and honest conversation about how being midwives and women gives us a unique perspective from which to discuss these topics and hopefully empower others to have stigma-free discussions about their own experiences and or needs. And in the process, hopefully we'll get to learn loads too. In each episode, we're going to provide current and evidence-based information about the topic we're discussing with a midwifery focus. The objective is to bring down some of the barriers to open communication about women, our bodies, sex, pregnancy, post-baby life, etc. by providing accurate and scientific information from a popular culture and feminist viewpoint. So the basic uh, pod rules, um, we are feminists, we are pro-choice, we are pro-informed consent and bodily autonomy. We, re- we believe in respect, dignity, inclusivity um, and concepts of gender, sexuality, language, pronouns and inter- intersectionality. And first and foremost, we are midwives. So a little bit about each of us. Um, I'm Tara and I am a midwife working in um, the hospital service. Um, I currently work in antenatal, um, which is where the majority of my work has been since I qualified. Um, I have an interest in parent education. I have an interest in family planning and sex ed. Um, and I have a I have a big interest in, in breastfeeding as well and infant feeding um, and nutrition. Um, so I met Amy and Roisin when we were training together, um, although we no longer work together. Um, myself and Amy fostered um, our friendship over a love of hula hooping and burlesque, um, and it and it grew from there. I abandoned burlesque very early on because I was absolutely not willing to actually participate in a full-blown burlesque show like these two lovely ladies. I'm Roisin, also a midwife, also working in a hospital service in Ireland. Um, As we said, we qualified a little while ago. I won't say how long and put age on this. And I've been working um, in lots of different areas in midwifery um, and in the last couple of years I've completed my master's in sexuality studies and I think my main kind of areas of interest are probably social justice and birth rights and how to kind of develop midwifery services in Ireland and get more women midwives. Excellent. I'm Amy and I also work in a hospital service. Um, The majority of my experience has been between the delivery suite and the emergency room or the assessment unit. I'm currently doing the same master's that Roisin did. I copied her and (laughs) I'm halfway there. I'm this year I'm doing my dissertation and my focus is mainly going to be on reproductive justice and I suppose, following the implementation of termination services. Great. So um, we all worked together um, a lot during the campaign for the repeal of the Eighth Amendment. We worked in Midwestern Choice. And I think through our work and our campaigning on that was why we decided to start a podcast and open up the conversation about women's health mm. with a midwifery perspective. Um, and uh, that's why we're, we're here today. That and we all listen to a lot of podcasts. Mm. It's the way to, it's the thing to do. 
Um, so I think top will launch right into topic one, maybe. Um, we've decided to start, we're going to try and be chronological about this. Yeah. And we're going to start um, talking a little bit about puberty and sex education. Um, uh, so I think Tara's going to start us off. Great. Okay. Um, so I looked up just a little bit about... Puberty. So basically, what is it? Well, puberty is a time when under the influence of hormones, a child's body transforms into an adult's body. Um, Notable changes include weight gain, um, which is to support functional reproductive organs, um, breast growth, pubic hair growth, changes in skin um, and mood related to hormones. Um, So I did look at... um, the average age of first period or the average age of a menarch. Now, I used it as a sort of a baseline um, just sort of to see roughly average age of puberty. Obviously, we acknowledge with intersectionality um, it's not only women who have periods um, and not all women bleed, but it was just as a Mm. kind of a marker. Um, And in future episodes, we'll be talking both about period and about... um, trans health um, and and issues related to that. Um, But in Ireland at the moment, the average age of first period is 12.8 years, similar in the UK. Um, And figures that I found from the US basically said that less than 10% of cycles occur before 10 years old and that 90% have occurred by the age of 15. So roughly Um, We expect puberty to last from about age 10 to 18 in girls um, and from about 11 to 18 or 19 in boys. Um, Interestingly, in the 17th century, puberty began at 17. Um, Yeah, and 100 years ago, it began at 15. Um, So basically, they think that it it occurs earlier now because we are generally healthier. So you're telling me I'm a 17th century girl. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't get my period till I was 16. Wow. Mm. Okay. Um... The majority of people, as I say, they get their they get their period around twelve point eight years, um, but there are a small number who get it a little bit younger. Um, although psychologically, really, many people are not able to deal with it until they're about twelve or fourteen. So it can it can be um, quite traumatic. And interestingly, or I should say, worryingly to note, early onset of menarche is associated with increased risk of gynecological cancers. Mm. Potentially from just repeated exposure, cyclical exposure to hormones. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's a really interesting um, thing to know for women like later in their life. Exactly. Yeah. For and, their health. Yeah. Um, also associated with higher body weight, earlier onset of menarche, um, possibly because fat cells produce estrogens, which kind of influence okay. the, the cycle. Although it is seen in... in normal and lower weight girls as well. Um, So I got in contact with a friend of mine who is a primary school teacher because I wanted to know how much sex education they do in schools and when do they start it and when do they start talking about puberty? So, you know, are they educating kids about puberty when they're 12 years old and half of them have got their period already um, and what is going Mm on? So there is um, an Oroctus um, spotlight document available online, um, which is quite good. It's quite in-depth. Um, it's 55 pages long um, and it basically details that that here in Ireland we follow um, uh, oh, WHO um, guidelines uh, for, for sex education. Um, Are we following them? Yes. Really? It seems. So, so this is what my friend told me. So... Um, or SE, or Relationship and sexual, uh, Sexuality Education, mm-hmm. um, 
it also comes under the umbrella of social personal health education, SPHE. Yeah. Um, so children from the very beginning of school, it's it's scheduled in for 30 minutes per week. It's not a huge amount, but I mean, it's every week in school. That's probably 30 minutes more than I ever got. Yeah. Like, well, that's insane. So that, that was that was exactly my, my reflection on it as well. I remember in about fifth or sixth class, them talking, showing us diagrams of genital organs and talking <laughs> about being very clean. And that's about <laughs> all I remember. I mean, thankfully, I had a mother as a midwife. So, you know, I had a bit of an idea. Mm. My um, boyfriend was told to retract his foreskin and clean it with a toothbrush. Oh, oh my God. By a teacher. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> all right, then. I he re- didn't do it. I feel like unless I blocked it out, I received like no formal education about puberty, onset of puberty, no. sex or anything like Not that. Not in primary school. Um, no. I went to a private secondary school and I think it was in first or second year that a woman from always was paid to just turn up and tell us about periods. But no one talked to us about puberty or sex ever. Oh yeah. yeah. The, like I learned about puberty and sex in my primary school friend's house her dad had some sort of medical background and we used to sneak into her parents bedroom and read his medical textbooks to try and get some sense of information about what what was going on with our bodies that's very very middle class (laughs) yeah (laughs) most people were looking at porn or yeah in my case what was it the guide the lover's guide to making love or something (laughs) What? I don't even know it was what that a, is. We can was, address this further on a later yeah. episode, Amy, I think. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> we'll, we'll that try sounds and like get a lot more we'll, fun way we'll to learn to copy from a medical textbook, for sure. <laughs> um, so in primary schools, they do it, it's in three strands. So basically they, they learn about myself, they learn about myself and others, and they learn about myself and the wider world. They also have a stay safe programme. So obviously due to this country's very dark history, many countries' very dark history with mm-hmm. Child abuse. Is, mm. And is this compulsory in schools? Like they have to teach kids this? Yes. Okay. We yeah. did the stay, stay Safe programme. So you had a yes feeling and a no feeling. Yes. Yeah, so they talk about if you have a touch on your body and it and it kind of gives you a no feeling or it makes you feel negative. Yeah. Um, this all sounds really promising. Yeah. I only remember being taught about crossing the road. <laughs> well, yes, there was, a, the, there was the green cross road <laughs> rather than the like, Stay Safe. <laughs> um, so... From from junior infants, they're basically taught the proper words for body parts. So it starts there, which is great because mm. many kids don't, you know, they don't they don't know the proper words for for genitalia. Um, and then puberty, they start to discuss it in third or fourth class. Um, now she told me as well that they actually provide sanitary bins in her school um, from from kind of third fourth class as well because there would be a very small number of mm-hmm. of girls who would get their period maybe at ten. Okay. Um, so in third class, then they discuss pregnancy. They discuss the length of pregnancy, how the mother looks after herself. Um, they they talk about the umbilical cord um, and how a baby feeds. Now, the level I was asking her about, you know, do they promote breastfeeding? How do they talk about infant nutrition? So she said basically the level of detail is quite often based on the teacher's own knowledge experience, and okay. experience and enthusiasm for the subject. So if you have a woman who has maybe breastfed her baby, yeah. mm. she will. I was going to say, you know, it could either be really great or really shitty. Yeah, I mean, equally, you might have a 25-year-old guy who has no <laughs> younger siblings, who has no experience mm. um, of anybody around him having a baby. So he's kind of going on the literature. Now, she didn't send me any of the literature. I guess maybe she's not allowed to. Um, so it's, it's, it, it is mixed for sure, um, but it does happen. Um, and then in fourth class, they recap um, a lot of the pregnancy stuff along with how the baby grows in the womb. 
um, which is interesting. Then in fifth class, they talk more about the physical changes of puberty. Um, and then when it comes to kind of late fifth class and into sixth class, they talk about contraception, conception and consent as well um, and intercourse. Um, That's quite advanced. I really didn't think... Mm. Yeah, yeah, it seems good. I suppose, like, just from hearing about it and reading about it, it seems a little odd to me. I don't know if it makes more sense to you guys that they're learning about pregnancy before they learn about how someone gets pregnant. Like, yeah, yeah. it seems strange to me, but maybe it's like kind of gentler, easier information for kids to... Yeah. And they've probably all seen a pregnant person and know that a baby is in their mum's tummy or their friend's yeah. mum's tummy or whatever, yeah. but... And hopefully... In third or fourth um, class, they have not seen yeah. intercourse. I think, like, I mean, I crossed. hope so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Although, like, you never, you never know. Yeah, yeah. The, lover, really the lover's guide to making love. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose you just don't know. I think as well what kids are allowed to watch. Yeah, how much I they're exposed to. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I found that all quite interesting, um, and I was looking into. Um, books and, and things um, that can be used. So one book that I found that was really nice is a book called The Girl Guide by Marwa Ibrahim. Um, so if anyone knows Marwa the Amazing, the hula hooper, yeah. um, that this is Mar- this is the same Marwa and she has written this lovely book and it's really nice, it's easy, it's very honest. She kind of talks about a few mishaps that she had in her puberty. It's very much kind of aimed at, I would say, 10 to 12 year olds, pre-first period. It's nice, it's very colourful um, and it's it's almost like a magazine. You don't have to read it from front to back. You can dip in and out and it's um, cool. it's nice, it's easy to read. I have a niece who's 11 who I think would enjoy, okay. would enjoy this book. Um, and then the other book that I got is called The Wonder Down Under, um, which is written by two medical students. And to be really good. Yeah, it's nice. Um, although I, I don't think it's kind of pre-puberty. I would think maybe later teens a little bit more... Um, more suitable. Um, anybody have any embarrassing or funny or truthful puberty stories? Um, not really. I mean, I didn't really get breasts until I was in my twenties. Okay. Like I don't. Really Whereas I got them. Remember at nine. them? Oh, oh wow! Yeah. I know. Like I, I used to wear camisole tops. Remember those? Yeah. <laughs> Spaghetti string. And <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't ever really remember like acknowledging to myself that puberty was a thing that was happening to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think like I was very naive. Like I I know I didn't want to I didn't want to grow up like. Okay. Okay, whereas like, I was I remember opposite. trying to drag out the whole Santa thing in my house <laughs> till it was like dead and buried. Like oh, so I did not I really loved being a kid. So you like, were junior, I junior loved junior, it. Mm. You were like, the youngest though, weren't you? Like I knew Santa I Children don't listen. Um, I knew Santa wasn't real, but I made my family keep it all up. Like I was 13. Hand on. Hand on heart. Did you go to Neverland? And the only reason like I had to give up the premise is because. (laughs) Yes. The only reason I had to give up the premise is because I walked in on my mom and my sisters like swapping receipts for their Santa presents. And I remember saying to them, like, guys, for fuck's sake, you're ruining this for me. Even though I knew it was fully all alive. I just didn't want to give it up. And I think I felt the same way about like my body and boys and kind of taking that step mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. realising that I wasn't a kid anymore. And I just blanked it. Whereas I, I think I was the opposite. I think I wanted to... 
wanted to be an adult. Like I was ready to leave home at about 12. <laughs> I just wanted to to grow up. And I remember when I was about nine, I was staying in my granny's house, myself and my cousin. We were like going to have a bath because we still did that at that age. I don't think kids this, <laughs> these days still do those things at nine and 11, as we were. Um, and I remember, no. I remember finding like a brown marker and like drawing on like, underarm hair and stuff and be like I can't wait to grow up like and then of course when I got underarm hair I hated it of all the things you could watch the puberty the fucking underarm hair women around the world spending all their money on laser hair removal you were an activist even from a a very young age I know I was but then of course as soon as I got it I wanted it gone what a a weird thing to see a child with with fake underarm hair I know. I just. I. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why that was like a thing. Oh, kind of embarrassingly, the first time I shaved my legs, I did it in secret in my auntie's house in Canada, mm-hmm. and I. I like didn't Destroyed tell anyone about yourself. it. I just okay. found like a pack of disposable Bic razors under a sink, and I hacked myself to bits. <laughs> yeah. That was probably my worst, like, puberty, dodgy, like... Moment. And I had to go out and my legs were, like, raw and I couldn't, like, go out in the sun and all that kind of thing. (laughs) I had to admit then that I was changing. Yes, I know. Um, Yeah, I did a right job on my leg once, I remember. um, And I was pretty sure that what I was seeing was bone. Like, I had... (laughs) I'd gone gone quite deep with the razor. Um, yeah, no, I think I think we've all been there. Oh, actually, a book that I have ordered that is, I think it was just released in the last couple of days, is called The Vagina, A Re-Education by Lynn oh, and Wright. Yeah, my chef. sister's yeah. ordered it. We're going to share yeah, it. Yeah, mine, mine arrives on Monday, I hope. Um, so, yeah, supposed to be absolutely fantastic. Um, lots of lots of information. No. Did adults in your life, like non-teacher adults who would have been teaching you this stuff in school, talk to you about puberty and sex? Because mine didn't. No, they didn't. And actually, in that document that I was talking about, the Spotlight, the Oroctus document, it does recognise, as with all primary education, that the main educator in a child's life is their family, their parents. You know, so this, what they learn in school is supposed to be somewhat reflected as to, like, Mm -hmm. what they're learning at home. Um, But, well, I mean, okay, as I said already, I have a midwife for a mother. So, yes, I I had an idea, Mm. um, but not... I just think I thought I really wanted to grow up, but all the awful puberty things like mood swings and just feeling horrible and skin being all spotty. I just didn't think that that bit was going to happen to me. I think I just thought I was going to to transform into yeah. an adult I overnight. I get to do cool adult things. And I get to do cool mm. adult things. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. No, definitely no bills. adults talked to me in my life about puberty or sex. Um, and I had four older sisters. Mm. Which, like, I blame them entirely for yeah. <laughs> for the world. But I think I would I would find it really hard as a parent, before having been a nurse and a midwife, to like, oh yeah, have really factual conversations mm. with my kids about yeah all of this. It's really complicated, and di- like I'm saying that as a healthcare professional, it's really hard to understand a lot of these concepts of like hormones and hormone levels and how they interact with each other. Absolutely, and then to explain that and pitch it at the right level yeah. mm-hmm. for a kid, mm-hmm. I just got a massive deja vu. Obviously, we haven't been here before. No, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I and like, I think Whoa. I think for us, I mean, for me, I can't think not as a midwife. Yeah, because that is that is where my brain is. That is where mm. my you level can't of go education back in time is. and think. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so yeah, but I think um, 
when we were kind of doing our, our research for the episode, I found some really cool things online for parents, for kids, for teenagers mm-hmm. as kind of resources for information about puberty and sex education. Um, a couple of my favourites were probably um, a Canadian teen health source, um, which will... Uh, link in the show notes. Excellent. Um, that was just really nice, kind of well-pitched, age-appropriate information, mm-hmm. but moving up as kids got older if they wanted to find out more stuff. Mm-hmm. And then uh, these videos I found, that sounds really dodgy, on a website called amaze.org. And that's all about parents talking to their kids about okay. puberty and kind of sex education. They do really nice short videos, like two to three minutes on different things like what are my body parts called or how should I feel about this and like they break it into older kids and then for really young kids it's just about like naming your body parts the things that they actually are what you do in private versus what you would do in public Um, they're a little um, like American-y but Mm -hmm. really nice I think just even if you were if your kid was asking you a question about something and you didn't feel yourself like comfortable talking to them about their vagina or their penis or whatever that you could play them this little cartoon and it would seem like a bit of a barrier breaker yes Um, and the other thing that I really loved that I got a few years ago was a book called Girl Up (laughs) by Laura the woman who was responsible for everyday sexism and I can't remember her surname I'm going to look it up um So everyday sexism is kind of a thing that she started after experiencing everyday sexism stuff that she's when she's on the tube in London or walking home from work or whatever. Um, And then she wrote this deadly book. Laura Bates. Laura Bates. I don't know why I was thinking Dodsworth. I had a feeling that's not a thing. Um, But Girl Up, I think, you know, the way, Tara, you were saying that... um, your books would have been good for like 10 to 12. Yeah. These Girl Up, I think, is really good for girls and boys, I think, um, who are a little bit older, maybe, who have started into some of the stuff because she talks a lot about like feminism, sexism, um, why or why not people might be looking at porn, what types of porn they might be looking at, um, what kind of slang terms girls might hear, um people referring to their body parts as um, which I thought was really cool I suggested it to my sister for her daughter Mm -hmm. um, and she told me it was too graphic and my niece was 11 then 11? 12 then okay she's almost 14 so I'm just going to give it to her now yeah yeah. (laughs) cool Auntie Roisin yeah with her her explicit books yeah Yeah. Yeah. excellent that's the idea why not it's evidence based so we'll throw those all up in the show notes. They're really good resources, I think, for parents to kind of have a more, like, just a, a less factual. stiff conversation, yeah. I think, with their kids yeah. and try and, and make more it... In, yeah, a bit more like, interesting. We're and... not asking everyone to be, like, a hippie parent, yeah. but I think that's really offensive to hippies. I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> Cut it off! We used um, to learn a lot of stuff from, um, do you remember J17? The Problem magazine. pages. Yes. Yeah. 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 And there was always Cosmo something or... about... Like a tampon or... There was always something... You were always afraid you were going to get toxic shock. Toxic shock syndrome. Um, And that somebody had lost the head of their electric toothbrush while experimenting masturbating. Yeah. Yeah. Or that you were... you could get pregnant from a toilet seat. Or or someone... um, Yeah. Or someone fingering you. That was the other thing. Yeah. That was one of the top five questions, I think. (laughs) I I don't even know 
if those magazines, I mean, I guess there's Teen Vogue. Do they have? I don't think they still exist. Well, remember More magazine that had position of the fortnight and that was being purchased by us when we were yeah. 13, 14. Yeah. That was basically, I think, where we learned most of our information. Yeah. And then attempted some daft moves <laughs> later later on having certainly flashbacks. wasn't attempting that. How often were <laughs> you writing into them? <laughs> um okay, great. So every episode we're really hoping to have an agony ant um, segment and we're calling our agony aunt Dear Fanny. Um, so we really, really would like um, some uh, Steer producers loving this. Um, we'd really like some uh, questions um, about anything at all. You know, so uh, as Roisin was saying earlier, we're hoping to do this in sort of a chronological um, fashion mm-hmm. at the beginning, but we will have um, extra episodes on different uh, yeah. topics. So please, please, please send us questions. You can send them via our Instagram page which is mm. at Boom Yonic um, or you can send them via our Gmail which is yonicboompodcast at gmail.com so um, Amy you have a question for this for yeah so it's not really a question so much as a point of information that somebody felt that they, they this is something that they just learned this week age 35 um, a short little quote I just found out that the second testicle doesn't just drop at puberty Turns out my baby has two. Just found this out. <laughs> okay. So I think they kind of wanted people to know in case. Uh, anyway, her mom thought the same. Mm-hmm. And obviously there's a whole group of people who think that. that like one yes. drops at birth and one drops at puberty. So babies yes. are born with oh, one okay. descended testicle and then the second one drops at puberty. Obviously this is, and this signals yeah. the their transition to manhood, so to speak. Okay. So there's a whole group of people out there who okay. Think Whereas that. the well, truth is, the like, truth the is. midwifey bit would be that we, when we yeah. catch a baby at a delivery and it's a baby boy, we check them over head to toe and we check their testicles to make sure that there are two there. Yeah. And some of them are descended, both. Some have one up, one down, and some have them that are kind of movable, so they can be in or in out. out. Yeah. Yeah. And some of them, they're obviously tucked up right inside. Yeah. Um, and they would generally be not too concerned whether they're up or down at birth um, but it's um, the when they're getting older yeah yeah. I, I don't know if I can out my nephew or my husband actually so the majority <laughs> the majority will their testicles will descend in the yeah, first in the couple first, of yeah. years um, or for the, the majority of the first couple of months but but usually by by about age two um, and if they haven't descended by about age three they will Retrieve. Um, yeah, the so I am going to name my nephew. I'm not going to name him. So it's one of them. You've many. <laughs> um, he his testicles were undescended at birth, but were movable, so they were freely moving up and down. Mm-hmm. And when he was more relaxed as a baby, they would be down. I'm like, mm. let's say if he was like constipated or whatever, they would be up, missing, MIA. So my sister used to joke with us a lot, like. That, like she couldn't find you know whatever um, but he they ended up staying like that like moving up and down mm. until after three so he had to start engaging with medical uh, services um, but each time he went into the hospital they would give him the anaesthetic and he would relax they would descend so they couldn't do anything about it because they were like well they're going to come down eventually yeah. but he's 10 now and 
just last year he had to have his little operation to make them stay down. Okay. So his both needed to be like be assisted to stay down. And I'm totally going to out my husband as well because it made my nephew feel loads better that there was like a grown up man that also had the same operation. Fair enough. As a baby. So yeah. Very good. A baby, a kid. Great. So yeah. So if anybody does have any questions for our um, agony aunt, dear Fanny, please don't hesitate to send them in. Uh, we will keep them anonymous unless you unless you don't want them unless to be. You, yeah, unless which, you want Which is to fine. Say, yeah. yeah. Um, Amy? Okay. Um, so every week we're going to talk about a feminist of the week. And this week we have chosen Philomena Canning. So the three of us are very lucky to know Philomena personally as we've all worked alongside her in Midwives for Choice for the last couple of years. Um, she's the chair and she is a midwife from Donegal. She's worked as a self-employed community midwife for over 30 years um, until she was unlawfully suspended by the HSE in 2014. So this suspension happened at a time just as she was on the verge of opening two birth centres in Dublin. Um, and then basically so began, a, you know, a very long and arduous um, legal battle. So she was reinstated in 2015 following two separate reviews which showed no malpractice. But by this stage, she had already lost her home due to financial difficulties from loss of income. Um, She was eventually offered a settlement by the HSE, but she didn't want to take it at the time because she wanted a day in court. She wanted proper vindication and she wanted the reasons for her unlawful suspension to be exposed. So in 2018, um, Around the time of the referendum, she was very sadly diagnosed with ovarian cancer and has since she's recently been given a terminal diagnosis. Um, She went public uh, with her, you know, with her illness, which she didn't want to do, but she was left with no choice because essentially she's running out of time. And she basically kind of asked the HSE to, you know, pay her the settlement that she was due. She wanted to be able to pay her lawyers and she wanted to be able to fund the life-prolonging cancer drug Pembro, um, which is an immunosuppressant drug. So as of last week, the HSE have announced that they're going to be paying her settlement. So this has brought, yeah, it's massive, you know. um, We got, I think the petition got over 3,500 signatures, wasn't it? I think in the end on the day they said five and a half. Oh, five and a half. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, it was really good. Five and a half. Yeah, it went crazy. Like she got so much love and support, I think, from the kind of midwifery community, the Mm -hmm. home birth community. Mm -hmm. Um, It was really massive. And I think it gave her such a massive lift. Yeah. It was amazing. The whole thing is just really shitty. Like for Um, someone to have to be going through that at the, when they're already in the fight of their life. Absolutely. To have lost so much. Um, and have waited so long yeah so yeah it's amazing and this is basically giving her peace and as you said just the massive outpouring of love that she's been given um from the families that she's cared for she's looked after she's had she you know yeah well she's done so much herself for all of those people I think it was really important for those of us who've been involved and been able to kind of just be in her presence Mm, to give that back to her like she's been such a warrior for um, women accessing home birth in Ireland and for like progressing midwifery as a profession Mm. and saying that there are other ways of doing Mm. things and for really fighting for women to have the freedom to choose Mm. whatever they want in their birth. Like the things that she achieved in Midwives for Choice I mean she's essentially is Midwives for Choice and Mm -hmm. we were all 
we are all just people who kind of listen to what she like, says she and she's an unstoppable force. She, yeah, she's, she's very like, inspirational. There's nothing like the moment when you meet up with Philomena yeah, and she goes, <laughs> I'm going to the UN on Tuesday. And yeah. she just goes and takes the whole thing by storm. Yeah. And like gets people in the on those upper echelons of like policy and yeah. discussion talking about things that you feel like no one will ever talk about, like birthright. Yeah. And yeah. like women being able to choose where, how, when, with whom they give birth and that for it to be a real choice, not just a, you've only got this option. So that's your choice. Yeah. yeah. Um, she's just been incredible. Um, and during the referendum, I think, you know, our main aim as Midwives for Choice is that we wanted to put the discussion of birth rights on the table. And for, you know, our main aim was to talk about women who wish to continue their preg- pregnancy, not just those who wish to have a termination. Um, so I suppose the best way to sum her up, um, this is a little excerpt from a statement that Philomena, um, she posted on Facebook after she found out she had her settlement. So I'll try and do this justice. And also uh, on top of everything else, she's actually uh, just an absolutely gorgeous writer. Um, finally, I want to say to every pregnant woman out there and every woman who wishes to be, You have within you the great gift of creation. Therein lies enormous power and potential. Aeons of time and tides have pushed against your centre of power, sometimes gently, sometimes not. Only women can have dominion over birth, yet she has made battle continuously to guard her territory or to gain access to it. Every woman has the right to be supported by her healthcare providers in the birth of her choosing, just as she has the best interest of her baby at heart. Your inner compass will show you the way. Look to it. Listen to your intuition. Sit in the centre of your courage. Fear may be part of the journey, but courage will overcome it every time. And please listen to my words. You were born to do this. You were born to do this. Lovely. That's gorgeous. Thank you, Amy. Thank you for reading that. Yeah. Okay. I think that's a, a nice note to sign off on our first episode. Yes. Thank you for listening. Thank Thanks you for, for listening. listening. Find us time. on Instagram at Boom Yannick. Find us at Yannick Boom Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.